Hey everybody, I'm Eric Tornberg, co-founder, partner, Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is an episode of Venture Stories, where we deep dive on topics relating to tech and business with some of the world's leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to Venture Stories by Village Global. We are here today with Ariel Poehler, angel investor, and Tim Swift, CEO of Rome Robotics. Guys, welcome to the prestigious Village Global podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Thanks, thanks for having me. This is our first ever official studio recording, so uh, excited to, to make it happen. So why don't we start first with a background on the both of you guys and how you guys got into human augmentation. Ariel, would you like to start? Sure. Yeah. So I started as an entrepreneur and after a few years of entrepreneurship, transitioned to helping other entrepreneurs. Did that for a little over 10 years. And uh, about three years ago, uh, maybe because I read too much science fiction, started thinking about this space, how technology can augment our natural capabilities. Around that same time, I met David Eagleman from NeoSensory. We hit it off. I started helping him. And then the thought came, well, why don't I try to focus on this space? There seemed to be a number of people that could use my help. And so that's what I've been doing. Tim, how about yourself? Yeah, so mine honestly starts when I was in grad school. I got kind of came in with the, with the dream of changing the way people live their lives and saying, how do we change the world? There were some few opportunities in front of me, and I found myself working on exoskeletons. Now I'm in the weird, very small bucket of people who've been building exoskeletons kind of nonstop for the last 12 years. That's a, that's a very small collection of people. And so, yeah, so that's kind of where I came to. At this point, I now kind of founded and run a company trying to make things a reality. Ariel, I'm curious, you know, you've been an active angel investor for a long time, and you bunch of companies like Strava, you know, many others, pretty broad. A few years ago, you said, hey, I want to focus on human augmentation. So I'm curious, first, what does human augmentation mean to you? Like what's, because it's you know, a big word, people mean it in different ways. How do you use it? And how do you think about your investment thesis? I think the definition is arbitrary. So my definition is just what works for me. And part of what I was looking for were spaces that had personal interest to me, where there was interesting things happening, but not too much uh, attention from other investors and so on. For example, you could look at augmented reality and, and argue that that could be part of it. But there's enough going on there that I felt, let me go where there's less people helping. Because what I love to do is work with entrepreneurs and, and have an impact. And if you go where there's a lot of people helping, you know, it's harder. It's incremental as opposed to you meet someone and if I'm not helping them, nobody's helping them. So what, what ended up being was what are technologies, uh, mostly digital technologies, so definitely ex- exoskeletons that help you physically mo- with mobility is one area of senses, augmenting our existing senses or helping us create new senses. Again, also with digital technology, haptics is one area that I'm particularly interested Part of cognitive enhancements, and I say part because that spreads the gamut from the things that are 20 years out all the way to like very detailed interfacing with the brain to stuff that we can do now in a more rough way. So I'm trying to find things that are not too far out. Biowearables is another area that I'm looking at. How do we leverage technology to understand our body and our performance better and in that way enhance it? And then the last thing I would say about my thesis is, again, it's more most about what's going on that's interesting, that's I think a good thing to happen and where can I go in and, 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 and help out? And probably most importantly, where do I find a team that I really like and want to spend time with? When I started, 
it was just about forget medical, forget anything that's treating any kind of disease or deficiency, just focus on healthy individuals. I realized that that was a bad premise because a lot of the technology start with people that need it the most, people who might have a deficiency and who are willing to put up with opening their brains or a heavy exoskeleton. Um, and so that, that, that line w- was keeping me out of a lot of interesting things. So now I shift in and I say, if it's only medical, then I don't think it's augmentation. I'll stay away from that. But most of the spaces that I'm involved with cross over and, and often start with something medical and then go to something uh, not medical. Yeah. Are there spaces that you've any other spaces that you've invested in or wanted to see more companies built in? I, I said you didn't mention brain-computer interfaces or are there spaces which, like augmented reality, hey, they're too crowded, maybe maybe gene editing or something, or, or require too much different kind of expertise and I'm not going to touch that? Well, I mean, definitely the whole genomics area is fascinating. Um, I have one investment there just because a good friend is co-founder of the company, but I just don't know enough about that area. That's the other thing color no i'm not no, I, I love those guys uh, elad and, and and osman no orionis it's uh, ricardo sabatini awesome guy but um molecules in general even though i can rely a bit of my my wife who's a molecular biologist staying away mostly from mo- molecules also which includes things like uh, nootropics and those kind of supplements and so on interesting stuff going on there is just an area that I just didn't feel was was a particularly good fit. One other area that I think is fascinating that I'm touching a little bit is uh, longevity. Uh, I think that's 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 a really interesting area. Trying to to learn more about that, and then uh, I mean there are a number of 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 ways of enhancing our state of mind, if you will. Like sleep is so important. Uh, so I've been looking at some hearables. Is an area I've been looking into a lot. Yeah. Say more within longevity. Like, where are you eager for entrepreneurs to to build build things in, or what have, what have you seen there that's that's intriguing? Well, there are there seem to be some uh, long hanging fruit, if you will. So, for example, it would seem that compound called metformin, which is something that was developed initially for diabetics. Um, there's a lot of research that indicates that it will prevent the onset of diseases. So the, the part about longevity, the way I think about it, it's not I want to live 150 years or 200 years. It's like I'm going to live what I'm going to live, but can we delay diseases? Can I have a, an active and as healthy life as possible? And this is one example of one compound that happens to be off patent, so it's basically free. I mean, I take it, and it's like $5 every three months or something like that, so it's practically free. But it's uh, when you talk about it, most doctors, you talk to them about that it's prescription so one great example would be can we take this where there's no obvious money to be made because it's off patent and do more research and hopefully get it to more people um that's one area that i think it's it, it, it um, could be pretty interesting just broadly delaying diseases so that we can have healthier lives and uh, some of that might be with compounds some of it might be just with easier things again like better nutrition better better sleep sleep people don't realize how important it is but uh, yeah i try to sleep eight hours a day yeah likewise we're, we're about to get into bionics but first let's do a quick sort of macro zoom out let's say that you're fortunate enough to 
be able to angel invest and not be responsible to, to limited partners. But let's say an LP came to you and said, I was, you know, thinking of, you know, investing in a human augmentation fund, but trying to understand why it's that space is such a big opportunity. What would you say to that LP who's looking to think about what's the sort of financial upside in, in this space? I mean, the first thing I would say is that it's, it is, but it's a long-term process. So if you're not thinking, I would say a, a good 10 years out, then you shouldn't be investing here. But the flip side is that it's super early. So there's lots of great opportunities. I mean, this reminds me, I was fortunate enough to have been around in the early 90s when the web was getting started. I went to some of the very early web uh, working groups when the actual HTML uh, language was being decided and we were arguing about what's the next thing we need? Oh, we need uh, center. You know, I said, you couldn't center uh, HTML back in. So, but the beautiful thing back then was you would hang out with everybody who was making it happen and you would just go to one of these events and go grab a meal and, and chat and that made a huge difference for me. And I think this space, some of these spaces are similar in that way and what, you know, people like Tim here are doing some really revolutionary stuff but because it's still early in the cycle then you can go and grab lunch with him you know the conferences are small enough that you can interact so the opportunity i think for investors who have long-term horizon is you get in early and maybe the i would argue most of the projects that are happening now probably won't be the ones that are going to make a obscene amount of money except for Tim's, of course except for rome of course <laughs> i think many of them you will iterate but so it's a lot the way I think about it is about getting to know the people, getting to know the space, trying to become value added in the ecosystem so that as the projects mature and as the years go by, you end up involved with the most uh, exciting projects. No blockchain for you, Ariel? You know, it's it's fascinating. Back when I was considering looking at human habitation, I was looking at blockchain because uh, my good friend Wences Casares and Mickey Malka, they had you know, pointed me into Bitcoin, and I I will say it. I I love the space, and I got my kids to buy some Bitcoin way back when. So they should be very lucky. <laughs> they should yeah. be very grateful. Now they think investment is really easy. It's, it's problematic. <laughs> it's all downhill. Um, from here. But it just doesn't touch me at a personal level. It's like, yeah, this is good. It's gonna, it's important, but it somehow didn't get me excited the way augmentation does. Tim, let's get into Banix a little bit. Maybe talk about say more about what Rome is focused on, where it sits within sort of the bionics landscape and why you decided to focus there as opposed to all the other ideas you could have pursued in the space. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, our story really is kind of founded from my background. So uh, one of the leaders in the exoskeleton space today is Exobionics. So I kind of got my start in this world. I was employee four at Exobionics. I was, me and one other guy, we were the lead inventors of Exo, which is basically their product. So I basically got to, from scratch, dream up an exoskeleton and say, what would the future look like? How do we make people move better and see it now basically be the world leader, right? I mean, there's hundreds of devices at, uh, out in the wild, exoskeleton public, things like that. That was, I, I learned tons, but I think for me, and this kind of speaks to some of the things that Ariel was saying is like, uh, when you think of the market, I think the market, the opportunity here is huge. And when I think of trying to establish what the, the potential here is, the potential isn't like, for me, obviously there's a financial element. But that's not really the reason I do this. The reason I do this, I think is really cool is we're going to define the new normal, right? The new normal is really cool to me is you think 
we're not establishing what everybody's going to be doing next year, right? We're not making the next cool app, things like that. But we're defining what the next 30, 50 years could look like because this is what the new norm will be for when people leave the hospital, when people want to run faster, when people want to do whatever it is. Um, that was always the dream for me. And, and say more about that. What, what is the new normal? Well, so, so, will I, be the new uh, so it, honestly, I think that, that the, you know, it's yet to be written. I think this is the thing that's so exciting. I mean, I've gone to conferences plenty of times and li- like actually got in, in verbal uh, disagreements with people because we disagree on what that normal is, right? To me, I believe the new normal will be is, is that assistance. In my case, I dream obviously about exoskeletons, but I think the same layers can be written in these other areas. I think the new normal lives when it it's commonplace, right? When you want to, when, when you're, you're dealing with trying to stay mobile in your home, you're not worrying about, do I mortgage my house to buy this device? Because honestly, that's never going to become normal. When you're trying to stay mobile in your home, you can go to Walgreens and spend $1,000 and you know, look at it like a computer, right? Or like a leg brace. You know, Dick's Sporting Goods has an entire aisle of leg braces, and, and that's normal. 20 years ago, it was kind of strange to see somebody walking around in a carbon fiber leg brace, and now it's just what you kind, of, you kind of expect. And it's moved from people thinking that it's medical to people thinking that it's high performance, right? This is what athletes wear. Tom Brady wears it out, on, you know, out playing uh, on the field, and your view of what is expected has changed. That's what I see in the future. And so the future that we're trying to build is trying to build a future where people go into Walgreens, buy a device to stay mobile in their homes, maybe go into REI, buy a device to hike farther, to run faster, go into Foot Locker, buy a device to jump higher, right? Uh, We were joking before we started that both love basketball. I've grown up my whole life, short white kid, played basketball my whole life, never dunked. Are you right. saying if I use your product, I'll be able to dunk? A hundred percent. This is my dream. Where do I invest? I mean. <laughs> yeah, this is exactly my dream. Is This is actually kind of comedically, but this is an area that we got started in. Is And, and one of the one area, things I started going, let's let's chase some of these things, is because I was like, man, it, I, I knew right away I could dunk if this thing works. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, Tim, I have a question for you about new normal. I was talking the other day with someone who does uh, bionics. And, you know, it's a matter of time before artificial limbs are better than regular limbs. And the question was, well, will at some point someone just cut off their regular arm because they're going to put on a better one? And this person who's one of the leaders in the field was saying, absolutely, it's just a matter of time. Do you, do you, do you I, agree? I actually wouldn't disagree that it's a matter of time. I think the uh, time scale between when our dreams say that happens and when reality says that happens is probably a little bit you know, they don't quite line up. Okay, um, but I, I completely agree with you. You know, I would guess that things that look like that are hundreds of years from now, but in that, at that time, yeah, there, there's, of course, I think that once you can compete with what the human body can do, people are going to, people are going to follow that path. I think the problem is, is the, the Delta right now is, I think I, I, we, I mean, we've talked offline, but the reality is, is I think the Delta between what is the hope and the reality are very uh, there's a there's a big chasm between the two and i think this is actually the biggest thing that kind of plagues our space in general the whole space is you want to maintain is people run the balance of trying to maintain excitement by selling the hope leaning into what the dream is but what they do is they set up a scenario of this kind of like this house of cards in which the reality is so far from what the hope that you've just sold that it all feels a little shaky. And so, but I think it's this chasm, the hope and reality chasm is kind of the thing that pushes those out a number of years. But 
When you're at these conferences and people are disagreeing with you and the people whom you respect their disagreements, what, what are they saying? Well, so I, so honestly, in my case, I build a very weird kind of exoskeleton compared to what is norm, right? I, our exoskeletons happen to be inflated, so they're basically made out of fabrics and plastics. And everybody else basically is building devices that are metals and motors, hydraulics. So it's mostly an execution. Yeah, it's an, it's an approach. And, and, and honestly, my, so my mindset behind this is I don't believe without these hundreds of years of, of continued maturity, you know, maybe it's not hundreds in this case, maybe it's 50, but a strong, a strong uh, number of years behind us. I don't think that the goal is possible. Not, not that we won't achieve it, I don't think it's possible with the tool set that we've used uh, to build robots. And so, and, and honestly, this is one of the reasons I stepped away from uh, XO is I, is I, I honestly came to a spot where it was like, this just isn't the answer. And if it's not the answer, you have one of two options. You find a new thing to go chase or you do it right. And we, we were able to stumble upon the path to do it right, I believe. Uh, still challenges to go solve. But so there's an execution uh, issue. Obviously, and this can be t- uh, marked up to execution also, there's questions about approach uh, as far as like market approach. When I think of specifically the exoskeleton stuff, and, um, and again, all of these things I think pan to prosthetics and pan to even some of the drug applications, is there's a technical challenge. And honest, obviously, we have to solve the technical challenge first, or we have nothing to really discuss. But there's also a market challenge, and the market challenge I think is the one that the one that will turn into the it quickly turns into the hardest problem once you make any headroads into the into the tech. And uh, in some areas, in some technology branches, we aren't quite to the market challenge yet because we haven't even shown enough tech yet. I believe we're out hunt, fighting the market problem, but there's there's lessons to learn. So, how should entrepreneurs trying to build companies in space? Question for both of you think about this, this market challenge different than they would think about maybe a you know, consumer app or, or, or something else? Yeah. So for me, it's all about volumes is, is this is what the conversation should always come back to. And you, you can entirely justify a company that sells low volumes at high, at large numbers that I, I don't, I don't disagree with that or argue that that's the case. But if you are going to do that, you have to sell. You have to sell them at enough volume, at high enough margin, to maintain that you exist. It's the reason why you know Ferrari can can sell. They don't sell as many cars as Toyota goes out and sells, but they sell it at such a higher margin that they can continue to operate to make that happen. In in all of our world, we have to. It's a. It's really a margin game. You know, I I got my start at at Exo building devices for paraplegics. There's. 10,000 annual uh, incidents of, of a paraplegic injury in the U.S. every year. That's, that's, it's horrible. And, and honestly, this is the re- one of the pl- reasons I kind of dove into this is as you see these people, you see the impact that this has on their lives. But the reality is, is the businesses that you can create where your market pool is a maximum of 10,000 individuals is quite limited. Right. I mean, we, and, and especially in our case, we had these dreams of we'd make a device that's a hundred thousand dollars and then one day it'd scale to 50 and then it's scaled to 20 and pretty soon you realize, wait, to make the 50,000 make sense or yeah, be a $50,000 device, I'd need to sell five to every paraplegic in the U.S. every year. It's just not going to happen. And so, it, so my big question to everybody at all times is that the tech, the market, the price that you can reach with the tech and the capability you can add have to line up with the volumes of the market that you're, that you're supplying. And I think this is the thing that, that I missed the first generation. And we're trying to kind of specifically solve for this generation. Yeah. 
Ara, how do you think about that in the context of, you know, you see a team with cool technology or they're building cool, cool project. And you're like, wow, this could really be important. How do you make sure that, Hey, this can also be you know, a venture backable business that makes sense for you as an investment? Yeah. I, I think the biggest challenge I see is that either they have a great product story positioning that's going to work 10 years out, but nothing, no viable way of getting there, or they're focusing on something that's going to work tomorrow, but it's really very niche or very small or not viable. So I think the, the key thing, which I think talks a little bit to what Tim was saying, was it's, a, it's to have both, to have that long-term, here's how one things pan out. Usually these technologies, version one, two, or three, are not going to be able to be, be mainstream. But eventually you'll get there. But if you try to go for that right away, then you hit a wall. I mean, and there are plenty of, of examples have done that. Um, but so the question is, what market do I start with that is works short term, that leads me to a medium term market, that leads me to a long term market? And as time goes by, my product gets refined, the market can get bigger, and uh, the company can make. I mean, I think Rome is a perfect example where if you look at the super long term is to make an exoskeleton that's consumer for every person everywhere. If you try to sell that today, you're going to fail because the technology and all the other aspects are just not there. So they decided, well, where do we start? Well, guess what? You know, there's a ski market. There's enough people. The technology works. It's circumstances, you know, you know the, the, whether you were in the backpack or the energy needs. Let's start there. Where do you go next? And so to have that roadmap that takes you from something viable today, something a little bigger tomorrow, and then the really big opportunity. That's what I see um, that's missing in many of these projects. Have you invested in any other companies in the, the broader space that Tim is working in? Um, so there is uh, one company I've invested called Cambridge Biogmentation Systems, a great team out of the UK. There, I love their one-liner, is the USB for the human body. They're focused on what's probably the most challenging aspect of bionics and prosthetics. How do you get that both, not just the neurological connection that to send information back and forth, but also actually the mechanical connection, the anchoring. It turns out that if you do look into the space, that's what's really complicated. So that's one team that I've invested in. There's another company that I've invested in that is in stealth mode. It's in the same general space. They're starting with a medical solution. And I, I, I can't get into, into the details. This is what we're doing together, correct? What's that? This oh, is there you go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just, so you, you're like, you know, totally. I'm talking about totally. Don't have to get into the details. <laughs> totally. So, uh, awesome. You can talk about yeah, it in, in, I don't in the know. future. But yeah, just to put on air, uh, Ariel is part of our you know extended network of angels at, at Village Global and excited to do a deal together. But I guess what about those two companies, or maybe you just talked about the UK one, excited you to, to make the investment? Well, I mean, the, the, the obvious that had to do with you meet the team and you hit it off and you have a good time and they come to my house and uh, I jokingly offer them if they want some scotch and they say yes. <laughs> no, but, you know, back to the point I was saying, I think that in the case of Cambridge Pigmentation, you have a very long-term vision being the interface with the human body, but they realize that that's going to take a while. So what do we do in the meantime? So in the meantime, well, we have a, this great mechanical anchoring that is even for a you know non-smart prosthetic 
that's still a great solution. That's a market you can go after today. You have some research things. You have some actually interfacing from some organs other than prosthetics. So I liked how they were realistic about the steps they had to take, and they had short-term, medium-term, long-term, some great science behind it. A problem that I thought could do was worth solving and help a ton of people. The combination of medical, but then eventually going beyond medical. I guess one other thing that comes to mind is they not being from Silicon Valley. One of the things that I found I really enjoy doing is helping entrepreneurs that are not from Silicon Valley or have not spent too much time here because then for me that's very easy to show them the ropes if you will the playbook the connections and so on it's a very efficient way for me to bring a lot of value out and you can relate on a personal level and I can relate on a personal level being originally from Venezuela yes absolutely let's talk briefly about we were talking earlier about go to market and we mentioned even earlier about that about startups that go medical first what's your sort of advice to startups that are considering going that route and how they should think about it relative to the other alternatives I mean, so there's, it's interesting. Some companies or some investors will not touch anything that has the word FDA on it. Other investors won't touch anything that has the word consumer on it. There's no right and wrong. I think you have to go for what works for you personally, and then you just have to find the people that are going to support you, whether it's investors, employees, advisors, what have you, that are in line with what you're looking for. But it's very important to be very clear about that. I, I was um, I was informally helping an entrepreneur the other day who was stuck in the middle. He's like, "Well, we don't quite need the FDA, but we're going to get it anyway, and we not we're also going to do consumer." And and I I, I forward his information to a few investors, and they they both had everybody had a problem with the other side of the equation. So I think you want to do. Particularly at the beginning, pick one or the other. Be very sensitive about this, this, the timelines. How long is this going to take? Sure, FDA has well depends on what kind of device it is and so on. But there's certain timeframes that can take a long time. Make sure you don't wishful thinking. Oh yeah, I'm going to be in the market in six months. If that's not the case, if you go in consumer. There are a completely different set of challenges that can also take a long time or take lots of resources or so on. So just do your homework and bring to your at least extended team people that have done it before. It's interesting when, when we talk about like the market. And I think there's a, I mean, obviously having, I have a completely different vantage point than, than what Ariel sees. But w- I think the investment community as a whole, I think... The interplay between company and investor is a little weird in this space. Say more about that. The reason I think it's strange is because I think there's a ver- there's a there's a real misbalance of information, and and not because not because anybody is wrong. Well, in some cases, some people are wrong, but that's not the point. Uh, not because as a whole we're wrong. I think what it is is it's because there's just a lot of. As I said before, I said the difference in hope and reality. I think that hope has kind of permeated where people people's mindsets and kind of changes the way they they evaluate things. And so, you know, we we were in a number of times where we were talking to people and they were like, "Oh, it just everybody goes medical, so you should probably go medical." And what you know, what I have explained, those conversations usually end with or start. My first reply is, um, "Yeah, the market leader going medical is the device that I built." And there's a reason that I'm going a different route is because of there's these challenges. And they go, oh, I completely agree with those challenges. So if you had gone medical, we couldn't have inve- we would never have invested. I was like, wait a second. So, and, and so like there, there are a lot of these pieces where I completely understand. Like there is a, there is a not insane argument 
against just about anything when nothing's been done before. Um, and that's the thing that's really, really, uh, I think, I think is where the promise is. I think for bold investors, it creates a really huge opportunity is to have a vision of what that future is and, and help to go paint it. I think for somebody who's, I think the problem that we see is for people who are not very motivated and, and are used to investing in the next app or the next smart speaker or whatever that is, this looks like a very different opportunity and one where it's very hard to just convince yourself that in six months you're going to throw this on Amazon and people are going to buy a hundred thousand of them, which is, which I don't think any of us believe is what the next steps look like. And so I think there's this really mis kind of misbalance in expectations and information that cause the interactions between investors and entrepreneurs to be very odd. I think the problem is, is what it has, what it's led to is I think it's led to a doubling down on the hype cycle scenario because the people who go out and are able to make the biggest splash are the ones who are able to deny reality and sell the story that the right. investment community wants to hear. And it, it kind of sets up the, it, it's, did uh, Ariel get you drunk off scotch one time and you overpromised the, <laughs> the vision that you can no longer, <laughs> I, I, I don't drink for this reason. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, totally. So let's say that I am a, a very talented entrepreneur. I have all the tech, relevant technical skill sets and domain expertise. Maybe I was an early employee at EXO or, or some company. And now I want to build a, you know, uh, build a company in Vanix and I'm, I'm just looking for the right idea. And I come to you guys and get your feedback about how you sort of see the, the landscape. What advice would you, would you give this person in terms of finding the right idea or, or go to market? Yeah. So honestly, and, and this sounds kind of dismissive, but the thing that I tell people when they say, ah, oh, like I have a lot of friends who are professors yeah. and we'll go this route. A lot of friends who are professors and uh, it's weird nowadays. Every professor is convinced that they are, their research is the next billion dollar opportunity. Uh, <laughs> it's hilarious how that works. The thing that I always con try to convince them, especially in my scenario is before you even take that jump, convince yourself you have something that works. And, and I, I know that sounds, that sounds really simple, but like in the exoskeleton space, I mean, it's been, it's been $400 million of government-based research over the last 20 plus years. And I would say that the number of devices that make a able-bodied person better that are commercially available is zero. And, and everybody's shocked that they don't sell. And the reason is, is because they might do one very tailored demo and it might not be horrible but everything else you do in them, they, they're horrible. And so my advice is always, let's start, start by making something that is useful. Um, and in the, in the human, like on the tech side, the human thing that I always push is I was like, listen, your system isn't a robot. Your system is, is a robot human, right? Like it's a combination. And uh, so what you want is you want somebody to get out of it and not feel that it sucks. And if you can pass that test and people legitimately feel that it doesn't suck, then you have something. I, mean, I think the first feedback I would give and I do give to entrepreneurs is it's the same I do regardless of the space, whether it's human augmentation or anything else, which is that especially if you haven't decided what you're going to work on, as the example you mentioned, you just have some good tech, some good expertise, is do something that you're really passionate about. Not Don't say, oh, I have this technology. Let me find a good uh, product for it. I, I think that's pretty tough, particularly in a space where, as I said before, this could take five or 10 years. So you're going to be working on this probably for a long time. Get into, into a solution, a, a, a product that you're passionate about, that you're going to be 
no matter what happens, you, you're really going to enjoy being there. So that would be the, the first thing I would say. And until you find that, just be very careful. I, th- I see so many in this space. I see too many technologies or inventions or things in the lab searching for, oh, what, how can I augment the body with this new little thing? As opposed to the other way around, which is like, wow, I, I really want to improve memory in, for this or that use case. How do I go about that? And maybe my initial research is not the answer, but I evolved to that. And then more particular to this space, be careful with the extremes of either having that dream of here's how I'm going to make you fly, whatever it happens to be, that is just not viable for 20 years. Or the other super short term, but just you can't build a company for something that's so 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 small or so specific. What we, hopefully you have a decent middle ground. We're gonna we're gonna play a game where I'm gonna say a sort of sub subsector, and I'm gonna ask you to either give whatever comes to mind as it relates to either advice for an entrepreneur, advice for an investor. Maybe you say overrated, underrated. You say it's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. You don't believe in, in the subsector at all. Whatever, whatever comes to mind. And if, if none do, we'll just, we'll skip and, and maybe popcorn style. Sounds good. So first, anything else on bionics or prosthetics as it relates to, you know, macro investor landscape or entrepreneur landscape or hype cycle or anything else you want to say on the topic? Uh, I mean, the thing that I typically, when I tell my story in the exoskeleton space, it's easy to come away and people think that there's there's less opportunity than what there is. You spend a lot of time managing expectations. Exactly. I think the thing that I that I that is typically creates the kind of like split for me is uh, the reason I do this is because I believe in what that future is. And so when I when I discuss exoskeletons and I want every investor and every entrepreneur to know this, like there is an enormous potential for what these things can look like, right? Uh, you you take even just some simple opportunities. Everybody talks about like, oh, there's you know, cell phones. They have this many people have cell phones. You look at just osteoarthritis in the that's it. Osteoarthritis in in the U.S. You're looking at 18 to 30 million people, right? Like that. that these are people who have pain every single day when they move their knees. It's these are huge opportunities. And so, so I think the opportunity is huge. And so should we, we, while we want to be realistic about where we sit now, no one should, no one should get soft on the fact that there's a big opportunity. You know, when we talk about what's the 10, 15 year future, there's a, there's a large, there's a large pool to go play in. Obviously I think it's going to take learning some lessons and being bold in the, in the, you know, in the time between now and then, but there's an opportunity out there. And so do you guys resonate with the analogy of some people make that the human body, uh, you know, they see the human body is like a, a car or a machine in the way that we can, we can program it. We can understand everything about it. We can understand it inside and out, um, and, and optimize it. Yeah, I, I do. I think that, I think that our knowledge, our knowledge set is limited, right? Even in something like nutrition, for example, which we've studied for so long, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's one of the areas where there's most disagreements. Right. I mean, yeah. And so why is it, like, what are we going to figure out in the next 10, like what's going to change in the next 10 years that's going to give us so much better understanding of say something like nutrition or is it always going to be like, no, I, I definitely think it's going to get better for, for one, as we get more markers, more way of tracking our performance and the impact of the things we do. For example, I was looking at a startup recently that uh, can look at urine samples really efficiently, potentially every day, 
and understand how you're, what you're eating or drinking is having impact on you. So I think we're we're in the early stages of monitoring our bodies, understanding our bodies. You know, you're seeing more similar things with biowearables and patches that. So I think it's going to get a lot more scientific. I think so far it's been it hasn't been as scientific, and as that increases, I do believe that we'll start to see more science and more definitive answers. Yeah, and in general, I I agree. We're like if you use the car analogy, maybe this car appear in the Middle Ages, and people are trying to figure it out, and they know there's an engine there, but they what's under the hood it's just like a mystery and so i mean like our brain sure we're making amazing progress but it's we're still only looking at the surface to a certain extent yeah but it's still i like uh, the way i you know i look at it again from the exoskeleton vantage point but you know when we started making exoskeletons i say we the greater we you know 30 years ago the goal was to make people run faster is what how it started with right and up till about five six years ago people were starting to say you know oh well maybe the human body is so optimized for running that it's you're never going to make it run better and what that is is that is uh you know people kind of ad hoc throwing explanations out for the fact that we failed and we failed because we didn't understand it and you know and it's only one little sliver but i you know we uh, over the last f- five years i think we've learned what the physics look like around human running and can make i mean not not 10x yeah uh things like that but 15 20 percent we can make people run faster now and and it was it was, there was a lot of learning. This is, I think, us learning to optimize that part of the human body. And there are a lot other of other pieces and a lot of knowledge to go into that. Yeah. And when you hear, here's what you guys think are the most compelling bear cases or contrarian cases against human augmentation being a huge opportunity. Is it maybe that hey, understanding of of humans is is limited that we'll we'll never get there? Or is it that I don't know? There's something crazy like AI is going to advance quicker than our ability to you know, augment the, <laughs> what do you think? I don't think there's a lot of people who would argue that as a whole, human augmentation is not going to be a big opportunity. I think you have to take one space at a time. And I think the biggest challenge you hear has to do just with the timing. Um, you know, if, if an investor has a fund and they want it to be a seven-year return or even 10, and they look at this and go, it's like it's going to take 20, then it's not an opportunity for them. But I think in most areas... Most people would agree, yeah, we're going to make a lot of progress, but it's probably going to take a while. Yeah, it's it's funny. What things we used to hear, I think I think one of the ones that jumps out to me always, which always made me laugh, is people are like, oh, yeah, but the problem is it's going to take 20 years for it to really hit maturity. And then you you got, what, five years until we're just, you know, gene splicing away uh, people's challenges. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that was, that would have been a really good argument for not making the car in the, you know, in the early, you know, 1900s, because what is it, 20 years before we all just fly everywhere in Jetsons cars, right? Like it, I hear that, I, I have heard this a number of times from people. Um, I actually think there was a, I want to say it was Popular Mechanics did an article at one point and they were like, 2050 exoskeletons won't matter anymore because and i'm just like wow if wish they asked somebody who knew what they were talking about and it is they said because of gene slicing or i forget what it was but it was had something to do with the fact that you're just going to you know bioengineer the the issues away they're they're not going to be there anymore and you're the one uh i don't say contrarian but argument against some of this stuff that definitely i hear sometimes is more ethical which is like you know where do you draw the line 
a lot of stuff starts out as trying to heal people and then turns into enhancement, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, but I, th I think most people forget that we already have so many enhancements like glasses and, and, and sunglasses and hear, earphones. I mean, there's so many things we're already doing, you know, from our clothes or what have you that let us be in cold places or really warm places that, yeah, that, that argument. But draw out one of the ethical dilemmas that you think about, for example. One of the dilemmas? Yeah, one of the ethical dilemmas like, hey, maybe it's, it's not so black and white. Well, in the genomic space, obviously, right? So, you know, you're talking about gene splicing and so on. Well, we can, there's a number of genes that have to do with capabilities that are, you could call them someone superhuman, whether it's like more muscular strengths or faster speed or better vision, uh, a number of things. And so it's clearly a matter of time before we could make sure that either by selection or even by modification, you know, babies have that. And, you know, th think about, take something as simple as vision. If, some, if, if somebody has a vision problem, we don't say, oh, let them be, you know, you, we let them have glasses. Say, so, well, if we could modify a gene so that they don't have that, what's wrong with that? Well, that's a long conversation, <laughs> right? So, you know, where do you draw the line? Is there going to be unforeseen side effect that we don't know from that gene because we think we understand, but maybe we don't? Yeah, that, that is one area that is... Uh, Brain-computer interfaces. Where are we with that? Is there any advice you'd give? Overrated? Underrated? My belief is that they are overrated. Oh, I, my, my only take on the reason I think they're overrated is because I, I honestly... People think that you can just get all this information out of them. Uh, and we've attempted to use them in the past to control exoskeletons. And if you're lucky, you can get three commands with high, high reliability. And, and obviously, the... The capability has progressed, in, you know, and it continues to progress, and it will continue to progress. But the, I just think I always look at it as a bandwidth conversation. We know that there's a that you can interface, and we could probably reliably get a bit very easy. The, que you, the question becomes is how many bits do you need to do your action, right? And so right now, I believe it's a great tech, great area, an area we should be exploring. I just think that the span between expectation and reality is too big. For, for it to be, for it to really make its mark in, in a lot of cases. Now, not all, every case, because it's kind of an application-specific thing, but in the areas I've exp experienced it, I think it's a little bit overrated. Yeah, yeah, current status is very primitive. So currently, for someone who is like a paraplegic, who cannot even talk, and all of a sudden you're using some of the technology for them to communicate, awesome. The equivalent would be like an exoskeleton of that takes a paraplegic and lets him move. But for, oh, let's just get rid of the speed limitation of our mouse speaking. We are many years away from that. I do think that it will come. And, uh, and again, you see companies going like the very long term, whether it's uh, Neuralink or Kernel trying to do stuff that is 10 years out. And then you have some companies like Control Labs that are doing something more in between. I'm trying to understand the signals that the brain is sending to the muscles, but it'll be a while. Uh, the current stuff is very primitive. I, I was at a person actually at the actually at this this conference. I was uh, wearing the t-shirt this body hacking conference, and one of the CEOs of one of the BCI companies uh, was giving a presentation, and he attempted to use his BCI to move the slides forward and back. That was all he was trying to do, and he failed. And it's like, oh my God, this is the CEO of the company. So we're, we're a ways off from sophisticated stuff. It will come.
What about nootropics or smart drugs or? Uh, so I know much less in this space. The I I do think that there's a, a place where it will make sense as people learn learn in these areas. I think there's a, there's huge value in in learning this stuff. Uh, and and once that there has been value shown, again I say, have something that works. If there's been value shown, it will find a space. I mean we work with uh, some people in the military, you know the elite special forces, and. There's often this joke about like why do we need special forces? We we take drugs when we need to, and it's totally true because like in that scenario, right? A lot of the, a lot of the concern about taking these things is is side effects, and in in their in, in their world, the, a side effect is not being fast enough, strong enough, whatever it is, and you have the potential of dying, and so that's a big big bad side effect, and so you'll take it, and obviously the bar needs to drop because we don't live with that same constraint, but. The reality is there. If you can show that there's value and I can think faster, I can think better, I can things like that, people might be open to it. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely stuff that works. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of snake oil salesmen out there. So I, I would say it's a space you have to be pretty careful uh, about. There's a lot of placebo stuff. No, there's no doubt that the brain is significantly impacted by the substances that are there and that um, that you can do good and you can with this uh, with molecules if you will so but it's yeah that space hopefully will get clearer more legit to a certain extent over time i think i think and this is maybe something we come back to but i think we we mentioned ethics i I think obviously ethics is a ethics plays big here and i actually worry less about the ethical ramifications of what success looks like than what the ethical ramifications of failure looks like like trying to get there will require we have to accept as a as as a people it will require failure it will require trying things that don't provide the benefit but do provide the side effects and in some cases that's a that's too big of a hurdle to jump and so i think that's actually you know kind of hearing all these pieces come to come to the table i think that's the bigger ethical concern that i would have but what that means for a company is is it, i mean everything for a company is time and money is is learning these lessons how much is it going to cost to learn the lessons how much is it going to cost how much time is it going to take for you to learn these lessons what are the what are the what are the the barrier we all talk about the fda the reason the fda exists i've said this to the frustration of some people in previous companies the fda exists to slow us down right because they want you to step back and think about everything you're doing the second you get into these to these worlds by definition, even if I'm able to find a market where I bypass the FDA, like what level am I just ethically expected? Is there a legitimate expectation on me to go slow enough and to take enough time to in turn spend enough money to know all the, the edges of this? So, yeah. and that even gets, that only gets worse when you start talking about drugs. It's, I mean, look at the big pharma. They spend a lot of money to do this stuff. Imagine a company coming out saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise money to do this. Uh, it's going to take a lot of money, take a lot of time. Zooming out on ethics for a second, when we think about you know uh, genomics and smart drugs, bionics, prosthetics, brain-computer interfaces. Is it do, do we as investors or entrepreneurs who are trying to build a you know better, more just world think about it in the same way that maybe Elon Musk thinks about OpenAI, which is hey, this is a scary technology. It's going to be built anyways, and so let's be one of the people who are at the forefront building it, so that we could have a say about how it's distributed, managed, and how do we, how do we think about the ethical challenges? I think most technologies can be used for good and for evil. So I think that 
if, if as long as there's enough good there, or I don't, I don't think you can say, well, forget this technology because it could have a negative impact. I mean, if you do that, then what would you have yeah. developed? Yeah. Even the printing press would have been. Not yeah, to, exactly. not, yeah, not to mention the fact that if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it and focus on, on, on the negative stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm less... now. There are certain things that, if, if it's overwhelmingly negative, how are you going to use it? I mean, that's when, when things get a little sketchy. When, when you say your customers are going to be hurt by using your product, that's the kind of stuff. But what's an example of an idea or space that came to you and said, and you were like, hey, this is interesting, maybe it could be a good business, but I'm just scared, you know, I can't ethically support this because I don't know where it's going to go or something. Now, the one that comes to mind, I've had that happen where I have found the entrepreneur I felt was unethical or not to my ethical standards. This guy is going to do really well and this product is going to do really well, but yeah, I'm not comfortable. So I've seen that. But in this space, yeah, no, I don't think I've seen something where I go, oh, this is an unethical product. But I, I, there was one in the in the molecule space and this company raised money and they're at it so I'm, i wouldn't name them but where there was still a lot of uncertainty about the scientific positive impact and uh and then some of the people felt like okay this could if used improperly could hurt people and we're not sure we can really get people to use it properly my my thought on this is you you kind of mentioned exactly what my thought has always been is there should be an expectation there should be some level of expectation for us to filter the snake oil salesman from the reality, right? Because people are are damaged. Uh, there is negative benefit effect when, especially when you get into these things where you're looking like pharmaceutical options. There is a, a, a detriment when you're pumping, when you're placing legitimate science-backed validity against some dude in his garage and he's convinced that it's going to work. And so he makes this thing and you take it. And and I don't know where this hype comes from. Uh, you know, it's a little bit an expectation on investors to ask themselves, like, is this real? I think there's a little bit on the tech media to expect themselves, hold themselves to a higher standard. You know, and I'm not going to name any individual publications, but we all know we've gone on and read the blogs and websites where it's like, this is going to be the next this. And then a few months later, you realize that it actually never has worked. Yeah. Uh, they just told a story. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm active in that space and my, my world is trying to establish, you know, when we say you made a person better, what, what do you actually, what are you saying? Did you test anything or do you just believe it will? And, that, and, and so I think this is how you fight the ethical side is, is what are your expectations? I, I've actually, as I was thinking about it, I've thought of two situations of the opposite, which were projects where we're not quite in my sweet spot of human augmentation, but I'm like, oh, this can do so much good. I want to back it. So like there's Quick Genius, which uses cognitive behavioral therapy and mobile. We invest as well. There you go. And I'm like, oh, this can do so much good. So is this human application? Not quite, but I want to help these guys. And then I was mentioning, I think, before our our episode started that I'm working on hypnosis. And it's hypnosis to uh, stop addictions and to treat pain and all sort of good stuff that you can do with self-hypnosis. And again, it's not quite in my sweet spot, but let's go, you know, do this. So it's more... Those happen more often than the ones where I go, like, oh, my God, this is going to. Last question. You know, Tim, you talk a lot about, you know, results, showing value. What are other companies in the broader human organization space that you say, wow, I'm really impressed with what results they've shown or how they've shown value or I'm really impressed with where they're going or I think they're an inspiration other companies should be looking looking to. 
I, you know, I, I, that's that one that I'm stumped on. Uh, and primarily not because I think there's companies out there that are doing good. I think the in the other areas, I don't have as much context. In in my area, there are a few, but the, they're smaller. I, I know for whatever reason, there's one that's doing industrial stuff called Strong Arm Technologies that I think actually is is doing something of value in the industrial space. Um, I think the the opportunity is a little bit is smaller, grand scale than some of these other things that people have talked about. But I think it's I think they're doing it the right way. Yeah, I as I mentioned, I mean, I don't think I don't think there are PhD dissertations in you know more than one maybe in the last fifteen years that have uh, met the requirement of shown shown value. So that's where I kind of get hung up. Again, speaking from the exoskeleton space. The, the when, when you slide over, I think some of the things that we are seeing, prosthetics is an area where it's kind of much more mainstream. This is, you know, everybody who talks about why why does the military spend so much money? We should thank them, thank them for prosthetics, right? They're the only reason the prosthetics are such a research topic. But it's providing a lot of value to people. And it has the potential to provide a lot more. You know, again, I think in the research stage, but there's a lot of companies that are coming out of schools which have which have things that have shown real value that they can push down into into products, and they're doing it right now. So, uh, how about you? Are, what are a couple of companies or projects that you want to plug or are really inspired by that you think are? Well, I, um, I've mentioned a few before, so I won't, I won't repeat those. I mean, there are a few labs that that I think are doing some really interesting work. I'm not officially related to any of them, but for example, I mentioned biowearables and John Rogers at Northwestern. You know, went to visit his lab and I was very impressed. And there's definitely companies that will come out of that. Ed Boyden at MIT is doing brain-related stuff. Um, some of the people at Kernel came out of Ed's lab, and there's a bunch of people at um, MIT, both the Media Lab and also their Brain Science Institute doing really good stuff. At Stanford, there's so many uh, good stuff happening there on the, on the sleep side. Also, just relating uh, sleep to performance. It, it's really shocking when you actually see it and they show you a look. If you don't sleep enough, it's worse than if you're drunk. And so they're doing some really quant- interesting quantitative work there. But anyway, so there are some things to come to mind, which, which might show you that a lot of the more interesting stuff is still very early, still coming out of, out of labs. There's still some hackers doing stuff that are interesting, but it, they're, they're still hacks more than, you know, full-blown companies. And then other, the ones that I, that I mentioned uh, earlier today. Uh, guys, it's been a fantastic podcast. We'll have to do the next one at Ariel's place over some scotch. I like that. Thank you guys for, <laughs> for, for coming around. And uh, this has been another Adventure Stories by Village Global podcast. Thanks. All guys. right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.